The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. Hello, I am Dr. Matthew McLean, and I am here to give a biblical perspective on dinosaurs. In this course, what we're going to cover, we're going to talk about why do we disagree on dinosaurs? How do we know about dinosaurs? What is a dinosaur? What are the different types of dinosaurs? What is the relationship between birds and dinosaurs and what happened to the dinosaurs? There's a lot of things to go through. Obviously, we have a brief time, and so we're gonna kind of move along, um, but there's certainly many, many resources out there if you're interested in learning more about this topic. We wanna talk about this topic because there's a lot of misinformation out there about dinosaurs. And so what I wanna start with today is why do we disagree on dinosaurs? And the reason I say we disagree is because if you go to a natural history museum or watch a documentary or read a book, uh, many times they're from a secular perspective when they talk about dinosaurs. And, you know, you're getting a secular perspective on math, not such a big deal. But with dinosaurs, you're going to hear a very different narrative than what you might read in the Bible. For instance, um, you read books or go to the museum, you're going to learn that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. Uh, in fact, they would say that dinosaurs went extinct about 66 million years ago um, after existing for about 165 million years. And that's not including, of course, birds, which in the evolutionary model are descendants of dinosaurs. This is very, very different from what we read in the Bible, where it talks about um, the Earth only being a few thousand years old, at least how we interpret it, um, and a creation event where you're not having birds evolving from other animals, but just being made on that day. So as Christians, what do we do with this topic? Well, what we're going to cover today is, were dinosaurs real? How long ago did dinosaurs live? And how can we understand dinosaurs from a biblical creationist perspective? So let's get started. It seems odd that I have to talk about the reality of dinosaurs, but that is something that comes up. And I've met people before, um, children and adults, who told me that they did not know dinosaurs were real. They thought they were fake. Um, I'm sure movies help with that, things like Jurassic Park. But uh, the reality is they are real creatures. And I can tell you that because I'm a vertebrate paleontologist. I go and dig up their bones. I've been out to Wyoming and Colorado and other places, and I've been able to dig up dinosaur fossils. And so I've got a picture there for you of a uh, site where I worked in Wyoming during my dissertation. You can see some dinosaur bones there, including a triceratops dentary, a lower jaw bone. And I demonstrate there for you how it works on the original animal. So yes, dinosaurs were real. But it's not just their bones that we have. In fact, we can see evidence that dinosaurs didn't just exist, but they did things. For instance, you can see a picture up there of a bone that we collected out in Wyoming. And that bone, I've got a 3D print of right here. This bone is from a Tyrannosaurus rex, a younger individual. Um, and we were very interested in this bone because of the scratch marks. And you can see those in greater detail on the screen there. Um, those are tooth marks. And we were able to figure out that not only are they tooth marks, they're tooth marks from another T-Rex. And they look like feeding traces, which suggests that we have a T-Rex eating another T-Rex, at minimum biting another T-Rex. And so that's very, really, really interesting, because we're not only learning that these animals existed, but we're able to see that they did things. They had activity. And so it's very difficult to imagine that these just popped up one day in the ground. These are showing evidence that things used to happen. If you saw a raccoon carcass on the side of the road, you would say, that's disgusting. But you might also notice that maybe an animal was feeding on it or something. You wouldn't think, hey, that raccoon just popped into existence dead with, you know, bite marks on it yesterday. 
No, you would think the raccoon was a living animal that got hit by a car and then was fed upon by another animal. Um, we should do the same when we extend back to the fossil record. Now, one of the questions people ask me a lot is how long ago did dinosaurs live? And this is really where we start to see some of the disagreements that happen between a biblical perspective and a kind of secular, conventional evolutionary perspective. So you can see on the screen there that we've got um, geologic time shown there as an incredibly long period of time. The Earth existing 4.5 billion years, not even getting animals that we'd recognize as animals until about 500 million years ago, and dinosaurs first popping in around 230 million years ago. This is very, very different than um, what we get presented to us in the Bible, where if we start to kind of add up dates from genealogies and things, we're gonna see that um, the Earth is somewhere between six to 10,000 years. And so how do we figure out how these things work together? Well, one of the temptations I see people have is that they tend to think, oh, well, it's just a time issue, right? So maybe the days were just really long, or maybe there was this really long gap of time before the days. And that's how you put these two stories together. But I'm gonna tell you right now, it doesn't work like that. Because if you actually compare the biblical creation narrative and the naturalistic evolutionary story, what you'll find is that they are not the same story, regardless of the time issue. They are different chronologies. For instance, when you look at the biblical creation model, you see the earth being formed first and then the sun. But in the naturalistic evolutionary model, you have a functional sun before you have really a functional earth. In the biblical creation model, you have plants appearing on day three, the sun on day four, and marine invertebrates like snails would probably be on day five. But in the naturalistic evolutionary model, you have the sun and marine invertebrates existing for millions of years before plants are there. In the biblical creation model, you have birds appearing on day five and land animals like most of our dinosaurs on day six. But in the naturalistic evolutionary model, you have dinosaurs showing up first and then some of them evolving into birds. In the biblical creation model, you have uh, humans being specially created on day six, but in the naturalistic evolutionary model, humans evolve from other primates. And then of course we have the time difference of six days and 14 billion years. But I want to point out, regardless of the time issue, the stories here are not the same. You've actually got a different story being told. And so just adding in the time doesn't solve your issue. But I wanna to stress to you the most important contrast between these two models. And that's with the biblical creation model, Humans were made in a world without death or suffering, but then death resulted through Adam's sin. As Romans 5.12 tells us, therefore, just as through one man sin entered in the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In the naturalistic evolutionary model, however, death has always been a part of nature. It's just how things work. Suffering has always been a part of nature. And then man appears on the scene very late. And so when you're trying to come up with hybrid positions like old earth creation or theistic evolution, you've got a really big problem here of death and suffering appearing before sin. And so that starts ask, begging some really big questions, right? Where do sin and death actually come from? And the reality is, if you're not certain that there's a universal sin problem, can you be certain that there's a universal solution to that sin problem? And so you can see we're, we're stepping into some really deep theological territory here. And so it's not just an issue of could day mean, you know, a million years or a day. It's really a big theological um, tangle of things that we want to be able to sort through. And so I think it's very important that we get this right. Now, one of the things that you'll see in, you know, as you kind of interact with the world is you may hear people like Richard Dawkins or other people say, well, if you're going to be a creationist, you have to throw science out the window. 
right? If you're really going to believe what the Bible says, you can't actually do science. But I would disagree because here I am doing science, right? I mean, if I'm out there digging up dinosaur bones and writing about them and things, that's, that's science. So how then do we do science as creationists, especially earth science? Well, to begin, there are some really core ideas we have to hold to from the scriptures. For instance, there is a real recent creation. There really are separately created kinds of animals and plants. The Bible teaches that there's a literal Adam and a literal Eve. And additionally, there's a literal fall and curse, which is where natural evil and the suffering in the world come from. And then there really was a global flood, which we'll talk later. But beyond this, we have the freedom to investigate as scientists. And this is one of the things I'm really excited about. You know, some people look at this and they say, oh, those are limits. It stops you from doing science. I disagree because all science has limits, right? I mean, can you study what happened before space and time existed? No. What does that even mean, right? There's always limits. But what's really exciting, these aren't limits. I don't see them as constraining factors. I see them as guideposts. I see them as helping us figure out which direction to take. Because the reality is the things I want to actually investigate as a scientist, I'm free to do. Think about things like which animals were on the ark or how did the flood actually bury these different creatures? How have dinosaurs changed since they originally created? When exactly did dinosaurs live? Those things we have complete freedom to investigate because the Bible doesn't actually mention the word dinosaur or talk about exactly how the flood process has worked, burying each kind of thing. It doesn't even tell us when fossils were made. We have to sort through those things as scientists. And so that's exciting. And that's what I enjoy is being able to go out there, study God's creation, see his glory in it, and then expose that to other people. Before we can go any further though, we need to talk about layers in time. Because as we move through the rest of this course, I'm gonna be mentioning things like Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous. And you might not know what I'm talking about. And the reality is, if you want a really good perspective on this, you need to take a geology class. And um, that's available to you in lots of online opportunities, especially even Masters University. We have an Essentials of Geology class online. But what I wanna point out to you briefly right now is where we find dinosaur fossils. What you see up there is the geologic column. The geologic column is a diagram we use to represent the rocks of the earth. Now, you can't find them in this order completely in one spot on the earth, but you can piece it together pretty easily. And that was done even before evolution was popular as a concept. When we look at the rocks of the earth, we find dinosaurs only in the rocks that are green up there, the Mesozoic rocks. And within the Mesozoic, we split it up into three groups, the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous. Dinosaur fossils first show up in the uppermost part of the Triassic and continue on all the way through the Cretaceous. Now, when you hear these terms, you usually hear them in association with millions of years. But you can also use these terms just to refer to the rocks that are there, the series of rocks that we see. And so, for instance, I've got a large T-Rex tooth up here. Um, this is pretty scary to look at, right? Um, the top here is the crown. That's what you actually see in the mouth. The bottom down here is the root, okay? That's what's holding the tooth in place. That's telling you that this guy really needs to hold his teeth in place. It's got some big um, bites happening, okay? But regardless, T-Rex teeth like this, um, which we found before in Wyoming, you only ever find these in upper Cretaceous rocks, the uppermost Cretaceous, what we call the Mastrictian. Contrast that with this giant dinosaur femur behind me from a Brontosaurus excelsus. This thing we find in Jurassic rocks, only in the upper Jurassic in the Morrison formation of the Western United States. And so this diagram and these terms are very helpful for us regardless of what you think about time. I save one more contrast between creation and evolution for this slide, and it's the most important of them all. 
And you can see up there uh, our perspective of having um, from biblical creation that God made humans and that they were without sin, without death, and a perfect creation. But because of Adam's sin, they died. As we read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. But in the naturalistic evolutionary perspective, death has always been a part of the creation. And it was here before humans ever popped up on the earth. And so if you're going to want to have some kind of hybrid position, like old earth creation or theistic evolution, you run into a big problem here. And this is pointed out well by an author named Stephen Lloyd, who wrote a book, Adam or Death, Which Came First? And he points out that physical death is an enemy of Christ. In fact, you can read this in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where it says specifically that Christ will put all his enemies under his feet. The last one is death. And so Stephen Lloyd says, if physical death has always been present, we find Jesus conquering what he himself made as an enemy at the beginning. That makes the story of the Bible, the gospel, incoherent. The second passage I want you to consider is Revelation 21. As you read that, a wonderful passage about how the new heavens and the new earth are being made and um, the new Jerusalem is coming down and God says that there is no more pain, no more death, no more crying, no more tears, um, that man will live with God forever. It's one of the most encouraging passages in the entire scripture. But as Stephen Lloyd says, but if physical death has been present from the beginning, then this new creation is not something purchased by Christ through his death. The renewal of creation then has nothing to do with redemption from sin and everything to do with God trying to make a better job of creation than he did at the beginning. And I think you can agree with me, that's not at all how I would read the passage. It's supposed to be that God has triumphed over sin and death. And that is what a biblical perspective is going to support. So let's go over what we talked about today. In summary, dinosaurs were real creatures made by God. And adding time to the creation account doesn't actually solve any problems because they're two different stories, different narratives. There's actually really strong theological reasons for holding to a young earth. It's not just an issue of what does the word yom mean in the Hebrew. It's really a question of sin and death and salvation. All those kinds of things are wrapped up in there. As you start pulling on any thread in the scriptures, you're going to see that it's connected to everything else. And finally, creationists can study dinosaurs. That's what I'm excited about, and I hope that you are too as we continue to look at these wonderful creatures. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Masters University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.